Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Excellent. Well, we are, we are in uh, this series in James, and we've been breaking down the book of James. We're going to spend the next number of weeks and, and actually a couple months going through the book. It's so rich, and there's so much, so much there. And we are at James 1, 26 through 27. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up with uh, us today, or we've got it on the screen for you. But this is, this is the, the, the back end of James 1. So we're going to finish that up today. But it says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unsustained from the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. God, I pray that you just move me aside and that Holy Spirit, you'd speak. Lord, give us ears to, to hear and eyes to see this morning. God, I, I pray your Holy Spirit would fall on this place and that you'd move our hearts to be the men and women that you've called us to be. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. And when you look at this, and we're going to start off in verse 26, in the ESV it says this, if anyone thinks he is religious, which is an interesting statement, and I'm going to get into that, and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Worthless. That's interesting. I, I like the King James. It says this. It says, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Worthless and in vain. Those are some strong words that are being spoken by James. And, and when we look at this, this chapter, he just is going through a lot of deep stuff, and, and, he, and he comes out of the, the chute here at the end, and he just kind of puts it right in our face. And he uses this word religion. We regularly try to, or at least I do, try to avoid that word religion, because the connotation of religion and, and what Paul is saying, what we think, or what I think many times, is, is works. I think, I, and often I tell people, I, I, don't, I don't like religion. I like relationship. And it's true. I'm about the relationship with Jesus, not the religious works. And, and so many times when I hear that word, I just go, I, I chafe at it. I go, no, I, I don't, I don't want to. I'm not religious. Don't want to be religious. But Paul is speaking and uses this word very succinctly and specifically. And when you have a good understanding of the gospel and you understand God's grace, when you understand what, what James is saying here, and he uses this word religion, you, you don't get all out of, you know, bent out of shape. Or you shouldn't. Why? Because Paul understood Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. He understood that there, the only way that you are saved is through God's grace. There's no works. You can't come to church enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't pray enough. You can't give enough. There's nothing that you can do to earn your way to heaven. It's only grace, grace and grace alone. So when James speaks this way and uses that word religion, it's in the context of him knowing that we're not talking about religious acts. We're not talking about doing things. That's a part of being religious, 
Camera down. Camera down. Good catch. Very good catch. When we, when, we, when we look at that, what we see is that the context is good. In the previous verses, what we see James emphasize is that those who trust God actually do what his word says, and they do what should, we should do as Christians. They are religious. In the context that he's talking, when we love others well, when we give, when we do the things, come to church or whatever it might be, we are being religious in the right contexts. When James uses the word religious, he means a follower of Christ. Someone who follows Christ. Someone who imitates Jesus. So then the question is this. Is it a worthy role to be religious? Is it a worthy role to be religious? And according to James, yes. We want to be religious. Followers of Christ. Of Jesus. Now, when we look at the verse in context that James uses the word religion, here's, here's what it literally says. If anyone thinks he is a follower of Jesus and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If you think that you're a follower of Jesus but you don't control this thing called the tongue, he says, your relationship with Jesus is worthless. That's a scary statement. In other words, if we can't control the words that come out of our mouths, we're lying to ourselves about being followers of Christ. Let's just stop right there. Take a moment and examine your lives. What words, we talked about this a little bit last week, but what words were thrown out this week from your mouth, from your heart, that were useless words? What words did you speak to your husband? What words did you speak to your wife that were words that were not edifying, that James might be talking about here today? Chris and I had a uh, conversation, which is code for we had an argument last week. Where'd she go? No, I know. It's hard to believe, Thomas. You know what? Time out. First of all, I, I want to recognize Thomas is a pastor of OC Singles, one of my he and his wife here tonight. So thank you for coming today. Um, just a, a great couple of God and have a wonderful church on, on Friday nights at, at Watermark OC right now. So thank you for coming. Thank you for your ministry. So I, I apologize I didn't acknowledge that earlier, but I love this man. He's a great man. Let's stop. He stopped talking about Thomas and his greatness. <laughs> Look, we're lying to ourselves. If you think your words don't matter, you're lying to yourself. If you think that God doesn't care. So Chris and I, in our nice con actually, it was Chris, it was me. Somehow I drug McKenna into it. It was Jack. And the next thing you know, it was, there, was, uh, there was yelling going on in my home. Now, we're, we're, we, we should be like full uh, uh, Italians because our love language is yelling, okay? It really is. And, and I, where did Chris go? I'm, I'm missing her. I can't point to her, and, and she can't confirm that I'm lying or not lying, so this is good. Let's go with it then, okay? So she caused all the problems. <laughs> it was unbelievable. She was selfish. She was mean, and everything heated up. And there are words that were spoken. You know what's, be, or what, what's dangerous about words? You can't reel them back. 
You know that old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but, but words will never hurt me? It's a lie. Every bone that I broke thus far has healed. But I remember words that were spoken to me that sit deep in my soul. And this is what James is talking about. And, and we need to stop and go, wait a second. Am I a believer of Christ Jesus? And if I am, what are the words that come forth from my mouth? What does that look like? James is continuing the theme throughout chapter 1. You remember last week what he said, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James is building this case. He's, he's going through and he said, this is what it means to look like to be a Christian. This is what, what you see. And he continues here. James continues to tell us that self-control is the key to a Christian life. Being able to control who you are. Being able to renew your mind so that what naturally comes out in the heat of the moment, here's how you know what a man or a woman has inside of them. Take them to the brink and see what comes out. You want to know if someone's serving God, if they read their Bible today. A little test. I don't recommend this at home, but, but push their buttons and take them to that place where Chris took me a couple nights ago. That's funny, because she's not here. So I, I win. Automatically, it's her fault. Where, where very clearly you could see that I was not in the Spirit. Very clearly you could hear the words that were going forth. And you're going, and I'm surprised. Well, McKenna, did, did she, this is the hardest thing when we're in the middle of these things. McKenna, who's just calm, she'll just look at me and start laughing, and that makes me even madder. <laughs> She's like, this is comical. And I'm going, oh my gosh, I'm serious here. But, but James talks about this, this Christian life and the words that are spoken. He says this, you've got to be able to control your tongue. You've got to be able to control what you speak. So what does James mean by controlling your tongue? The tongue is, uh, is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord, Father, and with the tongue we curse men, who have been made in God's likeness. It's amazing to me. At one second, you know, earlier in the day with Chris, I, I, things were great, holding her hand. You're wonderful. I love you. You know, we're having great conversation and dinner. In a moment's time, I'm on this side, and, and she's yelling at me and telling me I'm an idiot. Just go with it, okay? Go with the bit. Go with the bit here. She's not back yet. How do we go from this place? Of honey, I love you, you're wonderful. And in a moment's notice, you're over here and it's not honey, I love you, you're wonderful. James says this, you better look inside. You better ask yourself the question because he literally says you're lying to yourself. Now, Romans 7, therefore there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. What do I mean by that? Look, all of us have bad days. Some of us have bad weeks. Others have bad months. But if it gets into bad years and bad decades, you really need to look at the Scripture. Realistically, if you're getting into bad weeks and months, you need to look at the Scripture. See, but here's the thing. You don't, you don't measure uh, victory in your life by the absence of sin. Because no one was perfect, only Jesus. You measure the victory of Christ 
renewal in what he's doing in your life by the time between. Did you hear that? Don't, don't, don't measure your, your walk with God and, 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 and what God's doing in your life by the absence of sin, because that will never happen. It's this. When I used to uh, uh, yell every day, now I only yell once a week. When I used to yell every week, now I only yell once a month. When I used to yell once a month, now I only yell once every two months. You see, it's the decreasing the time between. You're never going to walk in perfection. Only Jesus did, and you'll stand with him someday, and then you will be perfect as he is. But today, so the, my goal, as, as James is saying, is to reduce the time between being a complete idiot. Chris has done a pretty good job, I'm telling you. Come on. Thank you, Pastor. The tongue is full of restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord the Father. And with the tongue, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. This, this is a, what does he mean by controlling? Out of the same mouth comes praising and cursing. Out of the same mouth. And I am blown away how that can be. How we can be, how that duality. Does anybody struggle with that other than me? There's a few honest people in this place. And James is, is saying, church, church, I need you to control your tongue. Proverbs 18, 21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. He said, death and life sit in your mouth. And it's true. We know this to be true because words matter. What you speak matters. What you say matters. What this word says, what's in this word matters. What this Bible says about me matters. What the Bible says about truth matters. The words that are on these pages matter. What I speak over my children matters. What I speak in my office matters. What I speak here matters. Everything that comes out of your mouth matters. The problem is this that many of us, me included, are foolish with our words and we don't stop and think and there's no governor. And James says you need a governor. And that governor is the Holy Spirit in this word. Words matter. I, I started reading. I, I, there's so much stuff that I, I couldn't put it all together. But, but through positive words, parents can promote children's cognitive functioning. <laughs> With negative words, a child's brain functioning can be interrupted. Have you ever met a, a child who's now an adult that was verbally abused by family members? Whew. Have you ever met a, a, an adult whose parents spoke life over them? It's interesting. Chris and I always joke around because um, she comes out of a little more dysfunctional family. Um, her her Parents got divorced at a young age and then remarried and uh, stuff like that. And then she would, um, she says, I come from an overly functional family, which I don't know what that means. <laughs> She's like, she says, you're so functional, you're dysfunctional. That's what she always says. I, I, I know this is true. There's a security that that by the grace of God, I walk in and my sister walks in because that woman, my, my mother and my father, would speak life over us every single day. I, I mean, I could have been 
I could have had four teeth, uh, one eye, and a nose, and my mom would say, you're beautiful. Now, when she said you're beautiful, she was correct. So that was good. She wasn't lying. Come on, stay with me. But there was always these words of affirmation, who you are, who you are, who you are, who you are. And, and, and it walked in a security that, that came from words, that came from the Word of God. Words matter. Words have energy and power and the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to hurt, to harm, to humiliate, and to humble. What you speak into a situation will take and bring life to that situation or will bring death to that situation. What you speak matters. Literally, kingdoms have crumbled when words lose their meanings. There's a great book by Thomas Cahill. It said, How the Irish Saved the World. And it talks about the fall of Rome. And, in, and I, I reference this regularly, but in the fall of Rome, he talks about four or five things that were the, the, the cause of the fall of this great nation at the time, the greatest in the, in the world had seen up until that time. And uh, I'll just give you a couple of them because it might sound familiar. And, and this isn't a political speech. This is historical. So just so you, at least you say, oh, you're being political up there. One of the, the reasons that Rome fell they relaxed borders. Another reason that Rome fell, high taxation. Another re reason that Rome fell, there's a large gap between the rich and the poor. You want to know another reason that Rome fell? Words did not have meaning. What do we see in this country? Let's just, let's just get at it, okay? I'll offend someone, and that's good. A boy is a boy. A girl is a girl. Genetics, science tells me that. But if you try, start trying to tell me that a boy isn't a boy and a girl isn't a girl and the Sith, I'm a Sith, what is it, Sith something? I don't even know what that means. But there's, I, I read something, there's 200 and some different people you can be, including, I don't know, a Nerf ball. I don't, I, it's just crazy. Words have value to them. And when God said, this is man, he said, this is man, and there was a value to it, and he made men distinctly different from this is a woman and who she is. You see, because if I can't trust your words to mean what they say, society breaks down. People, church, I implore you to hold on to the value of words. James says, hold on to the scripture and the value of these words. And when the world around you starts to tear down and break down the definitions, you've got to take a stand. We've got to be able to go, no, 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 no. This is what this word means. Don't allow your children to reinvent uh, uh, meanings of words. No, this is what the word means. And we'll, we'll go to the end believing that this is what the word means because this is what his word says. And that's going to tick some people off. I don't care. I have a higher power that I've got to answer to. And out of respect for someone, I will call them whatever they would like to be called. But out of respect for me, I'm going to call a man a man and a woman a woman. Kingdoms have crumbled when they lose their meaning. Words lose their meaning. 
James understands this. He understands that life comes from the words that you speak. When you look at that, that little baby girl or baby boy or, or son or daughter or husband or wife and, and, and you just look them in the eyes, you tell them how much you love them. And, and you're, this is another thing. Your, your actions match up to what your words are, that are spoken. It, it changes people. That's what he's talking about. When, when James is talking in, in, in James 1 in this whole section, and he talks about the be and do, he talks about, you know, do what you say. The words, you know, when, when we use words, it has to match up with who we are. Otherwise, they're just meaningless words. Rewind to Chris's fight with me. And at the end, it was resolved with, with, Four people crying and, and hugging each other. I mean, Chris, her book, if she ever writes a book, it's love hard, fight hard. Uh, you know, it just, there's just, it's how we communicate in our family. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but here's what happens too many times. Words are spoken that shouldn't be spoken. Words matter. The Bible's clear on the power of words when we talk about life and death. Well, here's just, I mean, there were, so many scriptures. I, I couldn't put them all, but I just put two or three. Proverbs 13, 3 says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens it wide, his lips comes to ruin. Ephesians 4, let no corruption, corrupting talk come from your mouths, but only such as good of the building up, as fits, uh, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Proverbs 18, a brother who has been insulted is harder to win back than a walled city. And arguments separate people like the barred gates of a palace. And then he gets into this verse in Matthew 12, 37. And this is one of the scariest verses in the Bible, in my opinion. And the power of words. Because it says this in Matthew 12, 37. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. In other words, when we stand before God someday, because the Bible says it is appointed for all men to die and then stand before God. James says that. We'll get to that later. When we stand before God someday, the words that you spoke will either justify you as a believer or will condemn you to hell. For by the words you will be justified, Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, those words will justify you before the creator of heaven and earth. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, when I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord of my life, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says that you will be saved. And when I stand before God and he says and asks this question, if this is how it works, in my mind this is how it works, why should I let you in? The words that come from my mouth is because of your son, Jesus. And what he did on the cross for me some two, three thousand years ago. Conversely, by your words you will be condemned. John 12, 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. And those words are depart from me, I never knew you. That's, that's why, it, in my, that's a scary verse. What you speak. Now, what James tries to do, or James does in this scripture here, is, is he tries to pull it all together. People, don't just give me words, but give me life. 
Don't just talk about it, but do it. And, and, and what he's saying when we look at that first chapter, James, is, is like, don't just be ones who just throw out words just effortlessly, but be ones who live what they speak. That's who the Christians are. That's how they'll know you. Words matter. Words matter. I, it, gosh, I, I can't emphasize enough. James says that Christians need to be concerned about obedience to the Father. That obedience to God is meant to be followed down, uh, followed down to the level of every word you speak. Now this one really freaked me out too. Because I waste a lot of words. And, and what does that mean contextually? There are settings that I sit in that I feel liberty to speak a way that as I'm reading this and as I've been studying about this, I'm getting a little convicted. There's places that, that I, I run, not literally, figuratively, with, with people that, that I feel more comfortable in. And I, I, words, as I started examining my life, words that come out, I'm going, hmm, I, there may be some trouble here. Because here's what he says. Each and every word you speak. There's a lot of words. I love hockey. I love playing hockey. Mark and I play. And, and uh, there, there's, there's a different atmosphere in the rink and in the locker room. And I always would justify it, not like you guys ever do any of this. This is just me. I'm the only sinner here now. So you guys just sit back and relax and enjoy your time. But I always justify in my mind that because I'm in a rink with hockey guys, my words can be different than if I'm here with you or if I'm with my family or if I'm in a restaurant. And, and those words, especially with Mark, a lot of the words that come out of Mark's mouth start with an F. <laughs> and I'm like, Mark, just because it's a hockey rink, I would never speak that language. But I'm reading this and I'm studying for this. I'm going, dear God, you're talking to me, James. Now we'll see if I listen. Why is this so important? Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Can you imagine giving an account for every careless word you have spoken? See, the fear of the Lord should sit on us in such a way that before the words leave our mouth, we think. But too many of us have this, as my dad used to say, diarrhea of the mouth. And things just blah, flow. They just come out. Verse 27, he says this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphan, orphans and widows. So we shift in this next part of this. In their affliction and keep oneself unsustained from the world. So verse 26, James calls out those who claim to be religious or Christians, 
but can't control their tongues and their words. He implies that these people are lying to themselves. But then he comes right back in verse 27 and says the same thing. He says, your words will condemn you. Your words are an issue. And, and, and then he comes right back in 27. James calls out those who claim to be Christians who don't care for others. And again, he implies that these people are lying to themselves. So right now, James says, your words will condemn you. Your words matter. He says, if you don't take an account for your words, you're a liar. Whoa. And then he goes deeper and he says, you know what? If you don't take care of others, you're not a Christian. James writes that there is a form of religious expression that is still pure and undefiled before God, and it's simple. It's, it's not simple. It, 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 it is simple, though it's not easy. Sorry. He says these two, three things. Show up with the widows and orphans in their suffering. It seems like a big shift, doesn't it? He's like talking about words, 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 and then he goes, boom. He goes into, you need to show up with widows and orphans. Not only do you show up, you need to help them. And then he says this, and don't let your, yourself be polluted or stained by the world. Widows and orphans. I mean, it, you don't hear a lot about widows and orphans, but what I would say today, widows and orphans, single moms and fatherless children. We have a, a, a heck of a lot of those. We've got a, a divorce rate that is crazy. We've got children living in, 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 in single-family homes like never before. What, what's the church's response? Oh, that's nice. Just come to church, do your thing. Or is there a response that James is talking about that we need to have as a church? See, what's the church's role? First and foremost, to see them. I, I'm amazed at how many, how many single moms or children without dads that walk by me every day and I don't see them. I'm amazed that, that in churches that there are all these single moms that are crying out for help and, 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 and talking about their kids and would you please help, you know, and, and we don't see them. The first thing the church needs to do is recognize to see those that are orphans and widows, that are single moms, or children without fathers. We need to walk with them. We need to walk beside them. One of the things that Chris and I have believed, and, and since we've been planting churches and always do, is holidays, we, we try to take care of single moms and kids. We've given out a number of cars to single moms. We, we look and we're constantly asking single moms that, that if you have a need, please come to us. We have money for that. That is, uh, is, is got to be in the forefront of what we do as a church. We help financially. But this part is, is the more difficult part to help to grow their children in the Lord, that there's a responsibility that you and I have in this church, that when you know of a single mom that is doing this by herself, that you spend the time, that you take the time to engage those kids, to help the mom walk alongside and help her in or him in that role, as opposed to, good to see you again this Sunday. Is there a willingness for the church to step outside? James is saying, look, Look, you, you, you've got to not only speak truth, but you've got to walk it out. What did Jesus say? Jesus said it this way. Matthew 25, 37 to 40. 
Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and gave you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the kingdom and the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus says this in Matthew. James affirms it in his book. It's not just about words. It's about doing. He establishes this truth that words matter. But if it just stops there, then we're missing everything that this Bible is talking about. If it's just about the words, and we, we just speak the words, but we don't come full circle and actually help others, if we don't actually help those who are in need, if we don't do that, then your words are useless. And he says, literally, you're lying to yourselves. There's this be and do relationship that Jesus has called us to. James chapter 1 is asking the question, do you want to live as Jesus lived? Do you want to live as Jesus lived? And then he just he breaks it down. He says, you want to live like Jesus lived? Then consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He says, you want to live as Jesus lived? Then when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the winds. I'm good. Thank you, though. Just, just sit right there, big man. You want to believe and live as Jesus lived? When you, stand in, when you stand, trial, persevere. Because having stood the test, you will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to you and those whom, uh, who love him. You want to live as Jesus lived? You need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James says you want to live as Jesus lived? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. You want to live as Jesus lived? Keep a tight rein on, rein on your tongue. Watch what your words, the words that are spoken. You want to live as Jesus lived? Look after orphans and widows in their distress. Lastly, you want to live as Jesus lived? Keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Be in the world, but not of the world. This would be a great message if I left it there. Just kidding. This is a good message if we talk about now what? We can talk about words, but how do I do this? If there's no instruction of how we do this, and, and you guys are going to be blown away because it's, there's something so new here and so revolutionary, you've never heard it before. What do we say every week? Realize who you are in Christ Jesus. That was a joke. This isn't new and revolutionary. But if the church believed it, you are the church, and you, you realize who you are in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore if anyone in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When you realize who you are through these scriptures, when you realize that I'm not the same guy that I was 10 years ago, that I don't have to sit in that same uh, stuff that I used to speak and, and sit in. I don't have to do what I used to do. That God has delivered me and the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm different. 
but I have to die daily. I know who I am in Christ Jesus, but there's still this death that happens every single, that needs to happen every single day. Romans 12, 1 through 2, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Each morning I wake up and die to myself, presenting my life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. You want to worship God? Get up in the morning and die. Do not be conformed to this world, what we just talked about, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. Number three, through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. That's how we do it, through the power of the Holy. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. And when I die to myself and I allow the Holy Spirit to rise up, I'm changed. I'm changed. I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. That's James 1. That's James 1. That's what, that's what he's talking about. We finished up James 1, and next week, or in the next couple of weeks, we're going to jump into James 2 and continue to see what he's saying to us. It's, this book is so important. It's so important to the believers. And I want to finish today uh, with a story. And I'm going to have Colt come up here. Want to come up, Colt? Colt is, uh, is really a fairly new friend. He's been coming... Coming, you're like 6'5". Do you want to stay down here? Or do you want to come up here? Jeez. Um, I'm going to grab my phone, too, because uh, that I've gotten to know over the last, really, a uh, couple of weeks, a month or so. And he started coming to this, this church. And we had lunch. And, and I, as I've been going through this book of James, and he starts telling me his life story, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Um, and, and you said something to me yesterday. Um, you said... My brokenness is my strength. But, but before we go there, can you give like a two-minute synopsis of what happened, uh, you, the story you told me yesterday? Yeah, um, I was a 23-year-old, kind of rambunctious athlete, uh, college volleyball player, grew up playing ice hockey, and um, I, was in a, I was drinking and driving one night, November 14th in 1993, in San Diego, and I got struck from behind uh, by a car, car and car collision. It was my fault. Uh, struck my vehicle, um, and they cut me out of the car, took me to the hospital. I woke up uh, after being in a coma for two weeks, and I was paralyzed on my left side, and I couldn't walk, talk, eat food, or drink water. And I was a regional all-star volleyball player in college and two-time MVP ice hockey player, and I couldn't get up. I couldn't, no, I couldn't do a lot of things that... Uh, after the accident, so that was um, that's my superhero strength. Well, you said I am amazed by what God's done in your life. You said a couple things. You said this. This struck me. I wouldn't wish this life on anyone, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. What What does that mean? Yeah, I just um, well, the a lot of more good has come out of the um, experience than bad, and it was really a divine experience that. Um, that accident, for instance, the, uh, well, first of all, I never knew how tall I was, so I couldn't stand up. And that really changed my perspective. I mean, I never knew. The first day I stood up, I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> so it just changed my perspective, and it gave me really, 
a different way to look at things. Um, I complained about my shoes till I saw a guy with no feet. And there's a lot of things that really made me realize how blessed I am. And the story goes on and on and on. Paul, as we talked about, Paul says, count it all joy. And, and you wonder, well, who, who, who has been in a real tragic situation, and some of us, and what does it mean to count it all joy? And when I spoke to you, I, just it struck me, the joy and, and the perspective. I mean, you saying that, I wouldn't wish my life on anyone, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. The fact that, that you've taken this, and there's a joy of the Lord. And it, it, differentiate between, God, if you get me out of this, I'll, 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 I'll serve you, and God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you. Well, I mean, I had I grew up in church and went to chapel every day in boarding school, and uh, God was, I used God as a convenience God, like off the shelf, and like get me out of this one, and he was kind of my pinch hitter, as opposed to my captain, and so I, you asked me the question, when did I really come to the oh, Lord? Jesus. And it was really when I was in bed there, and I couldn't move my left side, and I was in bed, and I just said, God, if you get me out of this one, I'll do anything you ask me to do. And I really, this that's the only thing that I've done since that was 30 years ago, and um, I'm so good. trying my best one day at a time to well, do it. The other thing that you said when we were talking is, well, a couple things. One, my disability is my power. That Christ in me and what he does through your disability is you, you call it a superpower. Right. Yeah, I just, um, I just come to believe that my inability is my greatest ability. Uh, that the way I look, the way I walk, and I'm conscious the way I look, but I'm also perfect just the way I am. I mean, God made me yeah. and uh, took me to be, you know, in this, in this body and um, uh, a lot of wonderful things. Everything good in my life has been a result of that experience. Everything bad in my life has been a result of me and my will. <laughs> so James says, count it all joy when you go through trials. But he, as we've learned over the last few weeks, he doesn't stop there. He says, now, now what's your attitude of your heart? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And, and, and matching up that joy with actually doing, and which leads to the last part where you said to me, I need to just give, give, give give. And for you, it is, uh, if anybody wants to check out a story, it's really cool. It's chefcoltmunchoff.com, but there's a whole video. So he is a chef, one-handed chef, <laughs> and your, your whole heart has been to help disabled men and women learn how to cook. Is that yeah, I'm, uh, I teach uh, disabled students or anyone who's physically challenged how to cook. I consider myself the Emeril Lagasse of one-handed cooking. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I not I want to be humble, but I probably cook better with one hand than you do with two. So. <laughs> yeah, he does. It's true. But I mean, it's just I, I, I give the joy in giving to kids and to people who have inabilities and it's not about chopping onions or, or tomatoes but it's really giving them independence and hope and if you can give someone hope that's lost that it's the greatest joy in the world for me so good Amen. you know everything that we see in this scripture is tied to lives if they're, if they're just words they're just words and that's what James says they're not just words 
they're tied to a life, to lives. And when, the, when it comes alive and you see someone's story, you go, oh my goodness, God can use me in miraculous ways. God, I mean, his story goes even deeper into addiction and alcoholism and being sober and falling off and then back. We don't have time. You know what I encourage you to do? Grab this man and, and get to know him because his story is miraculous, as is yours, because every story matters to God. Every story matters to God. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for Colt. I thank you for his heart. I thank you that you've used him in miraculous ways. Lord, I pray that you would continue to use him, that you'd go before him, and Lord, that you'd give him opportunities to speak his story, his story of hope, his story of love, his story of being rescued by you, the creator of heaven and earth, that, Lord, you might use him in miraculous ways. And, God, I thank you for his heart. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Thank you, buddy. You know, as Jed and Claire get up here, uh, I want to finish through uh, receiving our communion. Communion is a holy moment. I love that each and every one of you has a story, and I, I want in the near future to, to be uh, to use more of your stories and for you to hear them because I think they're encouraging. And this time of communion is a time that we take our stories and we bring them to the cross, and we align our will with His. The Bible says this: the the the, the the night that Jesus betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he ate it. And he said, eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took the juice that represented the wine. And he said, drink this in remembrance of me. And as we receive this today, I want you to take all that you are and bring it to the cross. Put it at the feet of Jesus. And they took the bread and they ate. And they took the wine that represented his blood and they drank. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. Oh God, let us be conscious of our words. Oh Lord, let our words match up what you called us to do. To love others well, to serve others orphans and the widows and the single moms. God, let us be doers of the word. God, just as you were some 2,000 years ago, you went to the cross and died for me. God, let me lay down my life for others. Lord, we thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.